known by a single name. You can think of them, right? Jordan, Tiger, Lincoln, King, Bono, Banksy. Anyone? Jesus, single name, Prince. And, and sometimes, okay, in, in the most intimate but also most powerful, it's a single first name. I mean, if you can get referred to and everyone knows who you are by your given name as opposed to your surname, then you've really accomplished something. Frequently, they're women. Anna, Serena, Oprah, Adele, Zendaya. It was a couple of years ago, okay, maybe longer. I'm not quite sure. Time just kind of flies by in my brain. I was in a bit of an existential crisis, didn't know what to do. So I reached out to my mentor, my former boss, the dude that was willing to take a chance on a punk like me. <laughs> yeah, I guess you didn't laugh at that one because it's true. In my brain, okay, he is like, it's a single name, right? It's a single name, and it's Leith, and it was a text. I need help, and he called almost immediately. I told him the situation. He's like, all right, rule number one, there's more information to come. Rule number two, people will manufacture stuff or reinterpret past events to suit their needs. Rule number three, control the information number four. Rule number four, there are no hard and fast rules. Wait a second, you just gave me three. I'm writing this furiously down, right? Just going Mach 1, just trying to keep up, right? Rule number five, don't quit. I'm like, what? He's like, rule number five, don't quit. And I'm like, what? He's like, rule number five, you don't quit. I'm like, oh, yeah, well, I didn't sign up for this, but yeah, I'm not going to quit. Different ways of saying it, right? Stepping up, leaning in, sticking your neck out, taking a chance, chance, take a chance, take a, take a chance, chance, ABBA. <laughs> taking the initiative, moving forward, taking the lead, all in, not throwing away my shot. Graduation day, the big leagues, apprentice to journeyman, journeyman to master's license. Page 412, Esther chapter 4. We spent four weeks on chapter four, okay? So like, if you come to me like this next week and say, one of my chief criticisms about Timberwood Church is that you don't spend enough time going deep into a chapter. <laughs> yeah, just don't. Just, just please don't. Just please, please, please don't. Listen fast. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his cold and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city and cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went up to the entrance of the king's gate, for no one was allowed to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. And in every province, wherever the king's command and his decree reached, there was great mourning among the Jews, fasting and weeping and lamenting, and many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's young women and her eunuch came and told her the queen was deeply distressed, she sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called for Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs who had been appointed to attend, and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what was and why it was. Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate, and Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the Winton decree issued in Susa for their destruction, that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and command her to go to the king to beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. Hathak went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. Then Esther spoke to Hathak and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, all the king's servants and the people of the king's province know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter. 
so that he may live. But as for me, I've not been called to come into the king these 30 days. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said, and Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, do not think yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house, don't miss the sense, right? Esther's adopted. Her adopted father is Mordecai. You and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether or not you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be fallen in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf. And do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young woman will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Four weeks on chapter 4. I think it's a bit of a turning point in the story. That's why we've landed here. I also want to illustrate the reality that we can, we can dwell on Scripture, okay? That we can spend a whole month on 16 verses and not exhaust everything that could be said. Scripture is alive. It continues to give. The more we engage with it, the more it will give to us. Esther moves from a place to a new place. She moves from being a student to being a graduate. She moves from being a mentee to being a leader. She moves from being passive to action. She moves from taking orders to giving orders. And the odds are overwhelming. We know how the story ends. Esther does not. The news is absolutely devastating. Esther, I don't want to do this. Mordecai, we really don't have a choice. It's an absolutely classic example of stepping into the unknown, the uncertain, a pathway that is mysterious perhaps even devastating. Don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. Whatever you face, don't quit. Lead. Lead. Be the person of God God has created you to be. Don't quit. Lead. Get in the game. Lead. All the things in life, right? Not just a genocidal crazy man coming against your people, but all of the things in life, all of the challenges, all of the things that we face. Don't quit. Don't quit. Please don't quit. Lead. Lead out of who you are. Who are you? What is God doing in your life? How has God prepared you for this moment, even though you don't want to be in this moment? Even though you can't see the for this very reason, don't quit. Don't quit.
lead. In the midst of this, although it doesn't articulate it specifically what Esther's thought process is, she goes to a spiritual discipline. Fasting could be used in a couple different ways. We talked about it a couple different weeks ago. She engages in a spiritual discipline. She engages in a practice to encourage her spiritual formation. And we often argue here at Timberwood Church, come follow Jesus Christ. It'll be the best decision you've ever made. We often argue, embrace, embrace what Christ offers. Learn to live lightly and freely. Learn to live with the perspective that Jesus gives us. And those things are all true. They will always be all true. And spiritual formation is really, really hard. And it often requires really hard experiences, like brutally hard experiences. And it involves sorting out the demands of the urgent for what is really going on. And you might say, hey, they got a year before this extermination thing is going to happen, you know? The genocide is 11 months away. Fair enough. And there's this continuing theme, right? How do you know when to take a stand? Is this a time? It seems like it is. How do you know when to act? How do I act? What have I done to prepare for this reality? We pointed out last week, we continue to point out, Esther, this thing happens in community. Community that is both willing to support, but community that is also willing to challenge behavior. Esther calls the people to fast. A spiritual discipline. I fasted once in my life for seven days. Tanya was out of town. I'm like, hey, why not try it? See what happens. First three days, brutal. Next four, kind of easy. I drank orange juice. And no, I drink, didn't drink three gallons of orange juice every day. I walked the Camino de Santiago because I wanted to, to, to experience in the spiritual discipline of walking a thousand kilometers with God just to see what would happen. A couple weeks ago, I attended three out of the five uh, listening to Matthew in the Great Hall on Monday night. I try to memorize more scripture. Spiritual disciplines, right? Can I do something that will challenge me? Can I do something that is hard for me so I can grow closer to God? The unseen power in Esther. Am I willing to discipline myself? And I often refer to things like, okay, well, like exercise, right? And, and I love it. Okay, I just love this. Just don't ever say it to me. Well, exercise is easy for you. No. No, it's not. No, I would much rather sit on the couch and house a bag of potato chips or like go nuts on a plate of chocolate chip cookies with like a gallon of ice cold whole milk. I would much rather do that. It's not easy for me. My body responds well to long-distance things. My body doesn't respond well to a lot of weight, but my body responds well to long-distance things. No, it's not easy for me. Discipline isn't easy. Spiritual formation isn't easy. I'm sitting listening to Gunner a couple weeks ago, right? Monday night, all right? I, I'm, 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 in the, I'm in the first 14 chapters of, 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 of Matthew, right? And I'm listening, and I'm concentrating, and I'm focusing, and all of a sudden I'm thinking about underwear. I'm like, why am I thinking about underwear right now? This is the craziest thing in the world. 
What? I missed my favorite verse in Matthew because I was thinking about underwear. It's hard. It's hard. Spiritual formation is hard. It is hard work. Spiritual discipline is hard. The more you do it, the better your body will respond to it. The more you do it, the better results that you will see. But it's hard. And often it happens when we're experiencing something that's really hard to experience. Can we do what Esther did? Can we place ourselves Can I posture myself Can I put myself in a spot So the things that are necessary to happen can happen in my life so that I can grow. And it's not without its rewards. I'm not saying that it's hard and it's not rewarding. No, I'm saying it's very hard and it's very rewarding. It's kind of like being on the bike the other day. I was about an hour and a half into the ride. I'm on County Road 17 coming into Pequot Lakes. And all of a sudden I see this like large dog that was actually a bear coming up out of the ditch looking at me like, hey, what's going on? I'm like, I don't know. That was kind of cool. Got up out of the saddle, got really big. Bear, bear, you know, and then the bear ran away, you know. Bear doesn't know that he can take me out. I'm like, well, that's pretty cool, right? It's not like... It doesn't have its rewards. Creating opportunities for us to grow. Seizing the opportunities that are right before our eyes. Maybe it's something that you don't do, that you could do so you could grow spiritually. If Timberwood is your home church, great. If you're visiting us for the weekend, great. Glad that you're here. What are the opportunities that exist in the church that is your home church? What are the relationships that you could develop that could help you grow spiritually? What are the spiritual disciplines that are probably offered each and every week whether it be study or scripture memorization or worship or praise or being in community or fasting or prayer. Understanding that if we're engaged in spiritual discipline, if we're engaged in spiritual formation, then the belief and the hope, and not in a hopey sort of way, but in the reality of the situation sort of way, God will give us all that we need for all that we will encounter. And when we feel like quitting, God will whisper into our ears or shout into our faces, don't quit, lead.
Verse 16. Esther says, hey, if I live, I live. If I die, I die. I don't think it's about being careless or cavalier with life. And it's certainly not being those things with another person's life. I.e., if your spouse asks you to drive slower, drive slower, knucklehead. And it's not to say that life is not valuable, okay? I like to say that I have a value of human life from the smallest of people to the oldest of people. It's one of the reasons why I'm not a big fan of the death penalty. Unless the person is a serial killer who has confessed to the crime and has made a profession of faith. I don't ever want to kill someone who doesn't know Jesus, right? I thought that would land with a little bit of a laugh. I'll probably make some of you mad with that one. Others will just be upset. Oh, well, get in line. For Esther, it's not a say love you moment. It's a fast with me. It's a seek God with me. It's a stand with me. And if my leadership means my death, then let me be the first. Rarely, rarely will any of us ever encounter this intense of a decision. Even if someone uses the phrase, it's a matter of life or death, it rarely is. In fact, to the opposite, we seem to live in a world in which various folks that we've allowed into our lives allow us to whip up our emotion on a daily basis about the things that really are not important. Rarely will we encounter the intensity of this kind of decision. The scope, the scale, everything about it is global, mind-boggling. But on a daily basis, can I die to what I want? Can I live for that which God wants? Because there's more to life than death. The quote, look at it on the top of your outline if you would for me. Slight typo, it's actually by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Delivered probably about 10 years before he was hanged by the Nazis at Flossenburg prison camp, concentration camp. He was pastoring a church in London or preaching at a church in London when, as part of a long soliloquy on death, he has this quote, why are we so afraid when we think about death? Death is only dreadful for those who live in dread and fear of it. And he was speaking of physical death. And so I say, maybe that's where you're at, right? Because life is short. Maybe you can't get death out of your brain. 
Maybe you think about what the next 15 years will be like. All of a sudden, you're 70. And another 10 years, and you're 80. What part of your body will fail? Maybe you think these thoughts. Maybe you don't. Maybe it's just me. Or maybe you're already 80. And you're wondering how much longer. And so in the literal physical sense of Bonhoeffer's quote, I agree, we don't have to fear death. For the follower of Christ, we don't have to fear death. But I also want to take it and pull it into the metaphorical sense, right? That on a daily basis, I can die to what I want. What are the things that you want that are so important in your life that you're willing to die for that really aren't worth even living for? What are the little things that are just so important? What are the big things that are so gigantic? They occupy space and time and energy. Can we die to what we want? And live for what God wants. Why are we so afraid of death? Death is only dreadful for those who live in dread and fear of it. Chapter 4, I argue, is the linchpin chapter. She becomes Esther. One name describing a human being who in the face of adversity hears the words, don't quit, lead. Please pray with me. What are you facing right now? What are you experiencing right now? What are you feeling right now that makes you want to crawl up in the fetal position and cry? We don't have to be afraid of the emotion. But don't quit. With tears streaming down your face, don't quit. 
with pain ravaging your body, don't quit. Embrace the reality of the unseen power that undergirds all of Esther. Don't quit. Embrace the God of the universe and all that he has for you. In Jesus' name, amen.